Uh, and I think a big part of that is, is answering, at least thinking about this question that I think Pentecost encourages us to think about a little bit more deeply. And it's the simple question, now what? See, I think, uh, I think Pentecost really forces us to think about this question, now what? You know, if you look at the story of Scripture, there's a lot of places in the life of Jesus that the story just could have ended, and it would have ended just fine. Think about after the resurrection and, and the commissioning of the apostles to go and make disciples. That would have been a great place to end the story. Right? We have this, this climactic finish of, of Christ rising from the dead, overcoming death. That's a beautiful, neat way to end the story. Right? There's closure. And you know, even as we reflected on last week, while the ascension might not be how we would write the story, that's maybe an okay place to end it as well. Christ returning to the Father from where He came. Christ promising to go and prepare a place for us. Christ going so that we could dwell with Him eternally. That's a pretty good place to end the story. There's resolution. It's neat, it's clean, it's tidy. But when we end the story there, we kind of are forced to reflect on this question, now what? What do I do with this life that I now have? What do I do between now and, and when Christ returns to restore everything? Or what do I do in the meantime? Do I just kind of sit idly by and, and, and twiddle my thumbs? Is try my best to, to not sin too much. Now what? what? What what's to come for the church? But you see, forty days later, Christ sends the gift of His Holy Spirit to help us answer this question. Now what? To help us consider what kind of life we have now been called to. See, we believe that we are people who, because of the work of Jesus, are now living. We believe that we were once dead in our trespasses, but now in Christ we have been brought to life. And so what Pentecost helps us discover is what does that life look like? What kind of life do we now have? And that gift of the Holy Spirit is really what what guides and shapes us in that life. That Spirit was poured out on Pentecost on the disciples and we see them go and boldly proclaim the Gospel to the ends of the earth. And we receive that same calling when that Spirit was poured out on each of us in baptism. That calling to go and proclaim, to go and tell. To tell of the life that we've been given in Jesus. And one of the ways that we see the lives of the earliest Christians shaped by the gift of the Holy Spirit is found in that epistle lesson that we read this morning. This comes right after Peter's sermon and and this mass conversion of people when they hear his preaching. And we discover that the lives of the earliest Christians, Christians were lives shaped by devotion. 
No longer were they devoted to things of the world, but now to the things of God. And here's what we see this look like. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Luke writes, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here we discover the things that the earliest Christians were devoted to. And what we're going to do beginning today and in the four weeks to come is we're going to reflect on some of the things from these verses. And consider for us that question, now what? Now that I have received this new life in Christ, now that I am no longer devoted to the things of the world, but to the things of God, what specifically am I called as a follower of Jesus to be devoted to? And that first thing that we see Luke note that the early believers were, fought, were devoted to was to the apostles' teaching. A teaching of the apostles that was handed to them by Christ Himself. They were devoted to the Word of God. And as we look back to Matthew chapter 7, our Gospel reading this morning, we see Jesus talk about this exact thing only this time, he's using the analogy of someone building on a certain foundation. Now, I don't think you have to be an architect or an engineer or, or an expert in, in contracting to know how important a foundation is to a structure. And, and I think I always knew this in, in my head before, but I experienced this more deeply uh, in the last month as my wife and I were preparing to purchase our first home. And I remember uh, we met with our realtor, and she showed us a few places, and, and she found us this beautiful condo, uh, and we just love it there. And, and everything was going along. We put in the offer. It was accepted. We started signing our lives away with all the paperwork. And the day that I remember being probably the most nervous through the whole process was the day of the inspection. And so we had scheduled it with, uh, with the home inspector. And so we, we drove to the condo and uh, we met with our realtor. And as we got there, the inspector was already up on a ladder. And she was looking at the roof and, and sort of the outer facade of the building. And she figured out that, that this must have been uh, pretty recently redone. Actually, it was less than a year ago. She was like, oh, looks, this looks great. This is, this is a really beautiful building. So we were, we were kind of encouraged by this. And then, and then we went into the actual unit that we were looking to purchase. And she commented on how, how great the renovation had been done. And, and other than just a few minor details that the owner needed to address, she's like, everything looks really good. This is a, this is a great place. Everything's in, in really great shape here. And so we had gone through the building. She looked at the outside and, and was like, man, everything is fantastic. And so she says, you know, you guys, you guys are, are good to go. Um, 
But I'm going to stay here, and I want to take a little bit closer look at the foundation. Now, everything was fine, but I remember leaving, and I don't know if it was how she said it or what she said, but I remember that leaving there feeling like as we left that day, what she basically said was this, or at least what I heard was, everything looks great, but if the foundation is bad, none of that matters. I mean, that's, that's what I felt. That, that all this stuff can be in great shape, but if the foundation is bad, if that's falling apart, none of that other stuff matters. And we know this to be true. A, a building can be beautifully engineered, but if the foundation is poorly done, you're going to have major problems. If it's sloppily poured, if there's holes, if there's cracks, the foundation is bad, the rest of the building is going to be bad. But on the flip side, if the foundation is good, that building can stand for years. In fact, it can maybe even overcome some problems here and there, as long as the foundation is solid. If the foundation is bad, the building is bad. If the foundation is good, well, then at least to start with, the building can be good. And so Jesus gives these words, and this comes right after the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 5, the longest discourse of teaching that we have from Jesus anywhere in the Scriptures. And he gets to the end of it, and he uses this analogy. He says in Matthew 7, verse 24, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So Jesus tells the crowd, he says, If you hear these words that I've spoken... And if you go and, and if you do them, you will be like a house that is built on a solid foundation, like a house built on a rock. You'll be able to withstand anything when the rain, the floods, the winds of life come and they beat on your house, you won't fall. And you won't fall because you're built on a solid foundation. So build your life on these words because these words are a solid foundation. Jesus desires that we would be devoted to his words because when life beats us up, and it will beat us up, suddenly the question, where did you build your house, becomes of central importance. When the rains come and you lose your job and, and you don't know what's to come, suddenly that question, where's your foundation, takes center stage. 
When the floods come and you feel overwhelmed by life and its demands and you feel inadequate, suddenly you need to ask yourself, where is your foundation? Where did you build your house? When the winds blow, things seem chaotic and uncertain because leaders and politicians just seem to blow nothing but hot air. We need to ask ourselves, how's our foundation? Is it solid? Is it cracked? Is it falling apart? Is it sand? Because in one way or another, I think we all know what it's like to live without a foundation. You know, I realize uh, about myself more and more uh, that I operate a lot out of fear. And and I do a lot to, to try and hide it, but I find myself, as I look at life, a lot of times very much afraid. I look at the task that is before me and before the church, And I combine that with the demands of life as a husband and a father. And and I'll find myself asking, am am I good enough? Am I up to the challenge? And and the thought of failing in, in any of those arenas is utterly terrifying. And I have this feeling that I'm not alone in this. That, that many of us, we, we live our lives just utterly riddled with fear. Fear that we're inadequate, fear that we're not good enough. Fear that, that we won't be able to provide for our families. Fear of that next test that is going to come and what the results will be. I mean, you look at young people today who have just this immense amount of opportunity before them. And time and time again, we see young people just riddled with fear. What if I make the wrong choice? Is this the right path? Or or maybe you're just riddled with fear and guilt and shame because of something in your past, and you're just so worried, if this comes out, I don't know what people are ever going to think of me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When we don't have a solid foundation, when the rains come, the floods come, and the winds come, and they beat against that house that we're building, we won't survive. And if we live without a foundation, we will probably find ourselves living in fear of the next storm, thinking that the next one is going to be the one that does me in once and for all. To live without a foundation will be to live in fear. And you know, I think for many of us in the church, we find ourselves not actually without a foundation, but we find ourselves actually forgetting about our foundation. We find ourselves so fixated on how the house looks 
Does the exterior look right? Is it pleasing to the eye? But notice that Jesus actually never says anything about the quality of the house. The difference between the house that stands and the house that falls, it's not that one is built well and the other is built poorly. What will determine whether or not our house stands or falls will be our foundation. So the question for us is not how well we've built. It's not how how beautiful our house looks. It's not the exterior. It's not what we display to the world. It's not the safety nets that we put around ourselves. What will determine whether or not our house stands is where it's built. And you know, I think it's no coincidence that right after Jesus uses this analogy, Matthew comments that the crowds were astonished by Jesus' teaching. And he says they were astonished because he taught as one with authority and not as their scribes did. Matthew's saying to us, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the one we can build upon. Not not on the scribes, but on Jesus. His word is a solid foundation. Our houses will stand. Our lives will stand. They will not fall in the face of the storms. Not because of what we do. They'll stand because they're built on Christ. They're built on His foundation. The foundation of of the one who comes to us in the midst of the storm, who silences the wind and the waves, who enters into our fear and our inadequacy. And through the word of his cross, he says to us, no, you are loved. You are living in me. We will stand not because of us, not because of the the good works that we collect up. We'll stand because we're built on Christ. So may you devote yourself to His Word. May you devote yourself to His teaching. May you build upon that Word because that Word is a solid foundation. And when the wind and the waves and the storms beat against us because of our foundation, because of the rock that is Christ, we will not fall. Amen?